Now it's time to cut through the clutter and noise with one of the South's most recognized voices. Just saying. This is Just Saying with Jason Scarborough. Jason, what's up, brother? You may not always agree with him, but he's just saying. Now let's get to it with the man, the myth, the legend. Well, most days. Here's Jason Scarborough. Oh, my goodness. Here we go. Once again, just saying on the Spirit Media Network. Just saying, Jason Scarborough sitting in the chair once again and hope you guys are doing well. Wherever you're listening, you might be listening on Spotify, iTunes, Google Play. You could be listening on Stitcher. You could be listening at spiritmedianet.com. You could be listening there. Or our newest edition, you could be listening on Amazon Music, which is really cool to have our podcast there. So whether you're a subscriber or someone new to the program, thank you for choosing to listen. We really, really appreciate you. Oh, gosh, the temperature has changed quite a bit here in Mississippi, where we reside here in the KDMC studios in Mississippi. And I got to tell you, it's it's a nice change. Now, in the last couple of days here, the humidity has gone up. The heat has risen just a little bit, which is not uncommon for this part of the country in this time of year. But we're supposed to have some cooler weather this weekend. Drier air moves in from the Arklamas. Just say cooler temps. That's going to get everybody's attention better than drier air. Always go with cooler temps. Someone's in the kitchen while they've got the newscast on. Someone is helping their kids with homework. Someone is working on their laptop and they've got it on in the background. They hear cooler temps. That's going to get their attention. Drier air and all this other stuff. No, no. Southerners hear cooler temps, severe weather, and that gets their attention. Everything else, they don't care. I'm just telling you. So, we got a packed show, as always, for you. We're glad that you're tuning in. Uh, it'll be college football heavy again. We're going to level out at some point because I told you in the beginning, doing this show, we're always going to cover everything. Sports, entertainment, matters of faith, and just interesting, crazy stories. That's what we're going to do. And it's just college football heavy right now because we're at the height of... I hate it when people say height. It's not height. There's no TH. Height. I'm on a roll today. Why am I so grumpy? We're at the height of college football season in terms of the games are starting to mean a lot more. Heisman Trophy uh, is starting to take shape a little bit, a little bit more than it was. Who are the pretenders and contenders? So that's starting to take shape a little bit more. So we will be college football heavy today. That doesn't mean you shouldn't listen. Because you will be entertained even if you're not a sports fan. You should still hang with us, okay? I promise we're going to level things out here in a couple of weeks. Just be patient. <laughs> we're going to have some other interviews coming up in the, in the next couple of weeks. Hey, don't forget, you can watch Audibles with Jason Scarborough. It sounds ostentatious to say it that way, but I mean, that's the name of the show. I mean, I could just say Audibles with me. That would sound worse. Audibles with Jason Scarborough. It is up on our YouTube channel. Just search for Spirit Media Network under the YouTube search bar. And uh, you can also download our free Roku device app. If you have a Roku TV, a Roku device to watch TV, just download Audibles. It's free. Doesn't cost you a thing. And just download the app and you can watch our episodes with Lane Kiffin, Mike Leach, Will Hall, uh, Mississippi State Athletic Director John Cohen, 
and uh, recently Robert St. John. Coming up this Sunday on WJTV News Channel 12 in Jackson and WHLT 22, CBS 22, let me say that right, in Hattiesburg, we've got Max Howell. Max Howell coached Emmett Smith in high school, coached Deion Sanders in college, coached with Bobby Bowden, coached with Billy Brewer, the late great coach at Ole Miss. I mean, (laughs) played on a national championship at Troy University, won a national championship there as a coach. I mean, come on. Was in the first recruiting class by the great Bear Bryant. Coach Howell's got so many great stories, and he'll break down some college football for us later on in this show. But uh, we profiled his life and his story uh, on Audibles in that episode, episode six, coming up Sunday night at 11.05. And then, of course, you can find it on our platforms, digital platforms that I just gave you, YouTube and Roku and Facebook Watch. You can also find it on our website. And if you don't have a bookmark by now, why? <laughs> why do you not have a bookmarked? Spiritmedianet.com. It's that easy. All right. So let's lay out the show. Coach Max Howell is going to join us later on, breaking down college football. He's got an interesting take on Mississippi State and that entire situation from a 30,000-foot view. If you're a Mississippi State fan, you're going to want to tune into that. If you're an Ole Miss fan, he's got some insight on... Matt Corral, if he plays or if he doesn't play against LSU this weekend. And he's got some Heisman Trophy thoughts. All right, so Coach Howell will come up here in about, oh, about an hour. Coming up on the other side of our first break will be Tim Brando, national sports commentator for Fox Sports. I followed Tim's career for a long time. Of course, he's worked at every network except for NBC. He's worked for CBS. He's worked for ESPN. He worked for Turner covering the Braves and the Hawks in Atlanta. So he's got quite the resume, and he's a national sports commentator for Fox, and he'll have the 11 o'clock kick coming up Saturday. That'll be Texas Tech and Kansas State. He's got some interesting takes on the Tennessee Ole Miss situation that happened last Saturday. Boy, was it ugly. Man, was it ugly. We're watching that game coming back from Starville. Myself, along with Big Mac, Chris McDonald, we're on the way to or on the way back from Starkville covering Mississippi State and Alabama. That game was just ugly. We we said, all right, fourth quarter, let's let's go. And so we're watching the Tennessee Ole Miss game coming back and watching what transpired. And a week later, it, it still hasn't died down. You would think that it has. It hasn't. I mean Tennessee fans are still in rare form, even for SEC fans. And so we'll talk to Tim Brando. We're going to ask Coach Howell about the Tennessee situation too. But Tim and I had talked, and he's got some thoughts on Ole Miss and Tennessee, uh, or at least the final 54 seconds of that game where the fans started throwing everything from vape pens to mustard bottles to bottles filled with spit juice from dipping. You have to be a different kind of person to throw a bottle full of spit at an opposing coach. Well, Jason, yeah, you might be onto something. Well, and you also have to be a different kind of person to bring a golf ball to a football game. That's not something you stop and pick up at a tailgate when you're tailgating with your friends and you're hanging out and having a burger or some sausage or you know having an adult beverage before you go into the uh, before you go into the stadium. It's just not something. It's not something that's common just laying around. Hey, here's the golf ball. I mean, that, that could have hurt someone. Let's let's be honest. Ah, you're being soft. No, I'm not being soft. Let me come into your neighborhood and just airmail a golf ball in your front yard while you're cutting the grass 
or your kids are out there, you'd be ready to fight and rightfully so. You just, that's just, you don't do that. So Tim's got some thoughts on Tennessee Ole Miss. He's got some thoughts on the Heisman. He's got some thoughts on what's wrong with college football. You're not going to want to miss that. Man, does he have some thoughts on that. And he's also got some thoughts on the Ed Ogeron LSU amicable divorce that happened a week, nearly a week ago. That's so strange. Such a weird deal, man. Golly, that's weird. You fire him, but you're going to let him coach until the end of the year. Yeah. Well, what could possibly go wrong in a situation like that, right? It's weird, kind of like some of my neighbors. <laughs> All right. I need you guys to email me with weirdest interactions with neighbors or some of the experiences that you've had with neighbors. All right. So I live on a cul-de-sac. The KDMC studios are here in this cul-de-sac in our studio here in Mississippi. So what is it about, it might be a Southern thing. What is it about in the middle of the day, going outside to your garage that's filled with, it looks like you could be featured on hoarders, first of all. I mean, this is what this garage looks like. What else can you pack in there? I don't know what else you can fit in there. No idea. And what is it about coming outside in the middle of the day and it just revving, revving up a motorcycle that sounds like it might be a tad faster than a lawnmower, might be a tad more powerful than a leaf blower, but is louder than a tornado siren. How, how does that mechanically equate? I'm not sure. But what is it about in the middle of the day, you feel like you have to come outside and rev that thing up, not once, not twice, not even five or six times. We're talking about in the dozens. What, what does that do? do? Do you think that after the first five or six times, you need to hear it five or six more times or about 20 more times to, to hear if something's wrong with it? What, what does that do? He's priming this and he's priming that. No, like five or six times should be enough. There's something within some of our neighbors. Nope, five or six times, that's not enough. Let's go for 37. That's not enough either. Let's try to hit 60. What is that? I don't understand the the charge that people get out of doing that. If you're just trying to make sure the thing's going to crank and, and you're just trying to let it run for a little bit, I get that. But just continuously revving it and revving it and revving it and just holding holding down the gas to where it makes so much noise. I don't know. And then the neighbor doesn't even ride it. That's the thing. They're not even riding it. They don't even get on it to ride it to go anywhere. To So that, that whole practice was just to make noise. It wasn't to see if it cranked because after five or six tries, of course it cranked. So you're thinking, all right, he's going to hop on it. He's just trying to, you know, make sure it's going to run before he hops on it and goes somewhere. No, no. Does that for about 20 minutes and then goes inside. What kind of experiences have you had? Have you had any like that? With your neighbors? I had one. <laughs> oh, man. I got to be careful with this one. There was a New Year's get-together several years ago. And when, when I say that my house is particularly close to this particular neighbor, my front porch, I mean, I their driveways are you know, right there. And I don't mind it because the neighbor that's there now, her and I get along great. Well, the ex... <laughs> We're all having this New Year's get together. And I come next door. I think I was getting some lighter fluid or something for the fire pit. I can't remember what it was. And I come next door to my house 
to get whatever it was I was coming to get. And this, this dude says, you know, Hey, I'll, I'll walk with you. I'm like, it's 10 feet, but sure. All right. I mean, I don't think I need a bodyguard, but all right. So he comes with me, comes in the house and he asked, you know, Hey, do you, do you have any beers in the fridge? And, and I did. I said, yeah. He said, can I grab one? Yeah, absolutely, man. And then he proceeds, we're, we're about to walk next door, back next door to his house where the New Year's neighborhood shindig was continuing. 30 seconds at most from, from being back in his driveway. And he turns to him and he says, hey, can I use your restroom? What? I was so shocked he asked that. I looked at him and I said, do what? He said, can I use your restroom? I'm like, and I wasn't even, the answer that just came out was No. <laughs> wasn't being ugly just dude we're 30 seconds if most from your restroom we're about to walk back to your driveway and we're we're just kind of standing there it's this awkward kind of stare down i could hear western music playing for there for a minute and he says why not i'm like we're going back to your house why why do you need to use my restroom it's not even 30 seconds. It it might be 10. I'm going to have to like do a count here later. From my front door to the drive, it may not even be 10 seconds. 30 seconds is very, very, a very liberal estimate. 10 seconds max is more like it. I want to use my restroom. And we're about to walk back to his driveway where his restroom is not even a hop, skipping away. It's more like a, not even a hop. Yeah. It's kind of stuff that I deal with, with, with my neighbors. I want to hear your neighbor stories. Jason at spiritmedianet.com. Shoot us an email. I want to hear your neighbor stories. I do. I think it'd be funny. Let me hear your crazy neighbor interaction stories. I've got several more. I'll I'll roll them out here over the next few weeks. I've I've got I've got a whole book of them. So, all right, we're gonna step aside. Tim Brando, national sports commentator. Weird segue. I know national sports commentator Fox Sports. He's gonna jump on next, and uh, he'll break down a lot of college football. Don't miss that, Tim Brando. And then uh, here in about an hour, Max Owl. He'll break down some college football and and talk about several different scenarios. And then my longtime broadcast partner, Pervy Green, he's going to join us later on in the show and talk about a little bit of everything, actually. It's been a while since we had Pervy on, so he'll jump on here. Just saying, on the Spirit Media Network, we are driven by the Mississippi Department of Transportation, reminding you that every day is game day, right? So we ask that you download the MDOT Traffic app on either Google Play or iTunes. It will keep you in between the ditches, as we like to say here in the South. You can check for road closures, accidents, uh, anything that, that helps you navigate when you're heading to your your favorite game destination, whether it's on Friday nights, Saturdays, even on Sunday, some of you guys heading down to the Saints games in New Orleans. So it's just a great tool to have. It helps us out. So we encourage you to download it, check it out, keep it on your phone and use it. You'll be glad that I told you you should use it. It comes in really, really handy. So Tim Brando's next as we roll on here. Just saying, thanks for hanging out with us right here 
on the Spirit Media Network. Hey, sports fans. This football season, MDOT wants to ensure you get to your game day destination safely. So before you hit the road to watch your favorite team, be sure to download the MDOT Traffic app. The MDOT Traffic app is free for both Apple and Android devices. And remember to drive smart on the way to the game. That means buckling up, obeying the speed limit, and avoiding distracted driving, especially when traveling in work zones. For more information, follow at Mississippi DOT on Facebook and Twitter. During times of uncertainty, it's comforting to know we have a healthcare system in our community that's been committed to supporting us for well over a century. In this current time, we are standing together, and our bond is stronger than ever. KDMC, caring for our community like no one else can. Sayin is driven by the Mississippi Department of Transportation, reminding you that every day is game day. Download the MDOT smartphone app today and check out the Mississippi roads before heading out to your favorite destination. MDOT, a proud supporter of the Spirit Media Network. Now let's keep Jason in between the ditches with another segment right here on Just Sayin'. And we roll on here on Just Sayin' on the Spirit Media Network. Glad that you are with us wherever you're listening, Spotify, iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher. We're on Amazon Music now. I didn't even know that. I had to check the other day, so we're glad to be on Amazon Music. Just search for Just Saying with yours truly. And you'll get to hear our next guest on the KDMC guest line. He's the national sports commentator for Fox Sports, one of my all-time favorites. I got to say that before I bring him in, right? He's Tim Brando. <laughs> you, you truly are one of my favorites. I told you that from day one and, you know, followed your career for a long time. And, man, you've had some good games this year to call. Have you had a favorite? I know you're not supposed to say that, but have you had a favorite game that you've called so far? Well, you know, actually what's been the best part of what I've done this year is I've gotten to go to a couple of new places that I, you know, you do this for five decades and people think he's gone into every stadium. He's been to every place. And the truth of the matter is, is I spent so much of my career in the SEC. um, I really hadn't. And uh, in the seven years prior to this, my eighth season at Fox, I had, uh, I had taken a few off my bucket list. You know, I had gone to Austin stadium and, Eugene for the first time. I'd gone to the big house at Michigan for the first time. And a lot of people probably would have thought, gosh, Brando, you you never went to those places. And the truth is, is no, I, I hadn't. In my years at ESPN before we started College Game Day, I did do a, a lot of games outside the SEC. Uh, Vince Dooley and I were together uh, when his, fir- his first year out of coaching, right after I left College Game Day in, um, uh, the 80, after the 89, uh, 88 season. We worked together in 89 and 90, and I – so, but I left shortly thereafter. They actually had me come back in and, and do studio work uh, when w- once Fowler took over game day, which was a year after I had left. So I came in and started doing halftimes and, you know, between game programming at ESPN for another three years. But I left in 94, and when I did that, I, I started working, you know, in, in, in Atlanta with the, the Braves and the Hawks and uh, and with Turner with the NBA playoffs. And during that time was right when I joined up with uh, Jefferson Pilot and the early games on the SEC, the syndicator, Jefferson Pilot and Raycom Sports. So 
you know, all those years I was in the SEC exclusively. And then when I went to CBS in 97, we had a little bit of Big East, you know, so I may have done some Miami, West Virginia, Syracuse games, but but never any games in the Big Ten or the Pac-12 uh, or really the Big 12. So uh, all these years now that I've been at Fox, those are the three leagues I've been covering. I had never done a game at the Old Horseshoe until this year. Hmm. Uh, I'd never done a game at the Coliseum in Los Angeles until this year. Now, the people at USC don't want to see Spencer and me because we've, they've played two awful games <laughs> both times we were there. So they want no part of us. They're praying that we don't get the UCLA-USC game <laughs> at the Thanksgiving weekend, but um, which we, we might actually get. You know, I'm still waiting to go to the Rose Bowl. I've never done a game at, at Rose Bowl Stadium in Pasadena, which would be a thrill. You know, those are the things that stand out. I don't think – none of the games so far this year – I've stood out there. We've had some competitive games. I love going to Washington. That game last week with UCLA was fun. It was uh, it was uh, very competitive, and it's just a gorgeous setting out there. You know, on Lake Washington, the snow-capped mountains and the Cascades. You know, it's just gorgeous. But uh, we've got a hellacious November coming up with great game after great game. Fox's deal this time of year is we've got uh, the ALCS, and then we've got the World Series, and we just had the. ALDS as well. So we don't have quite as many games. So we don't have three games on Fox every week like we normally do until we get to November. And when that kicks in, then, um, you know, it's just unreal uh, how many, you know, great games we've got lined up. And this year, because we've got so much balance, you know, you look around and you you see um, uh, teams that are undefeated that, uh, or maybe just have one loss that you don't think about. And they all have chances this year. So mm-hmm. yeah, it's going to be a whale of a November. I can't wait to, to get into that. We've been out the West Coast the last couple of weeks. Got to do a couple of, uh, you know, okay games in the Big 12. This week we've got Texas Tech and, and K-State out in Lubbock. And uh, next week we're going to get Oklahoma State. It'll be interesting to see if Oklahoma State can beat Iowa State this week and remain undefeated when we get them in Stillwater next week. But, you know, bottom line is uh, – you know, you're doing football, you're doing college football, you love it. And uh, if they send you to some places at my age that you've never been to before, <laughs> you know, you feel like a kid again. And and that's really, at this stage of my life, that's what I love, going to places that I've never been in before. You know, you mentioned Fox Sports and just game after game that you've got coming up in November. And one of the things that has stood out to me, among others here in Mississippi and, and other folks I've talked to across the South, the best product of in terms of covering college football, in terms of a broadcast, in terms of a telecast, from start to finish, pregame, uh, mm-hmm. the actual coverage of the game, and then the postgame, Fox Sports has the best product out there to me and, and according to many. You've worked it everywhere, ESPN, CBS, and mm-hmm. now at Fox. And, of course, you mentioned your time in Atlanta with the Braves and the Hawks. So you've right. gotten to see behind the scenes and, and be a part of a lot of different things. Why do you think – Folks like me and so many others have that opinion. What what makes Fox, how do they separate themselves in terms of having the best product from from everyone else? That's really nice of you to say, and um, I appreciate it. And I do think I can speak from, you know, a position of uh, authority because you're right. I've I've worked, I mean, other than NBC, I've worked for every network. (laughs) Uh, Turner uh, as well, you know, on the cable side and even did, you know, the NBA for them and inside the NBA for a short period. And in the mid nineties, between uh, the time I was at ESPN and at Fox, 
I think the, the things that jump out at me, and, and just so you know, and, and fans in the SEC especially, you know, they'll say uh, from time to time, they'll say, well, God, what happened? How did, what happened at CBS? And, and I've dealt with that, you know, publicly uh, a few times over. It was a great run at CBS. I did leave abruptly. Uh, but a little bit like the Ed Orgeron uh, amicable divorce down in Baton Rouge that's taking place, <laughs> you know, mine was an amicable divorce with CBS. You know, we, we philosophically had reached a point where, you know, I was I was both uh, doing play-by-play and uh, a ton of studio for them, but I really wanted to get out and do play-by-play full-time. God bless Vern. I loved him. He was magnificent to me. I learned a lot from Vern, but he – when I was there, he was going nowhere, you know, and I'm, mm. I'm pushing 60 at that point. You know, I'm in my late fifties. You know, I, I was really ready to do games, nothing but games all the time. Studio has been great to me, but, um, and I'm, I think my visibility in the studio has helped my career tremendously, but you know, my goal was always to be at the games, not, not being a studio in New York. And while I loved that part of what I did, I, I didn't um, necessarily want to continue on that course between where I was in my mid to late fifties and until my career, you know, comes to an end. So through my radio show, really, that was televised on the cable side of CBS and they wanted me to do it. Uh, they abruptly uh, canceled my show uh, and I only got about a week or so advance notice on it. And uh, that stimulated my exit quite a bit. Mm-hmm. And, but I will tell you, I will tell you though, they were great to me uh, in, in the way we handled uh, the exit. And whenever you're having a situation like that, where there are real philosophical differences between the way you're, you're leaving, you, you want to make sure that you, you handle that exit with dignity. And I thought both sides did, you know, they, they were good to, to me and I was in turn good to them. And I have nothing but great things to say about, you know, that 18 year run. My, my career uh, really, t- you know, launched to a different level when I went to CBS, it was, it was clear. Anybody tells you there's a difference that there's no difference between network television on commercial television, as opposed to cable. Anybody tells you that they're all the same now, that they're not, (laughs) they're not, (laughs) there, there are so many more people that watch major networks over cable. And, you know, I think you have to work in the business to understand that how many more people you're actually touching, how many homes, the ratings are even different. You know, the way they, the way they monitor how many people are watching are different. So uh, that's just a, that's just a fact of life in our business. But during that period when I was at CBS and even having a great time working in the studio for the SEC, I loved the way Fox did what they did. I was in awe of the freedom that their talent, their announcers had and the way that they went about calling the games. You could tell that they were having fun. All their guys were having fun. And you could also tell that the broadcasters were allowed to call the games the way they are comfortable calling the games. In other words, they weren't being microscoped by management. And if you watch the guys that do their games, whether it's on an NFL Sunday or on a Saturday, as by example, the way I call a game is nothing like the way Gus Johnson calls a game. The way, you know, Joe Davis calls a game, who's a young phenom that is just a tremendous talent, so good he could step in Ben Scully's shoes with the Los Angeles Dodgers and, you know, hear nary a whisper about anything being wrong about, you know, this young guy that's replaced Vin Scully. That's, boy, 
stepping in those size 32 shoes and <laughs> succeeding says a lot about him. He's going to have an unbelievable future. He, he may likely be the Joe Buck of the future, you know, at Fox. You know, he's barely cracked 30 years of age. So he's got an unbelievable future. But, you know, they let us do our thing the way we do our thing. And, and I think that um, that's not necessarily true at the other places. In fact, I, I would tell you that at some places, you're always being microscoped. I don't think anyone that's in this business wants to do anything other than put the game first. The game should always be first, okay? Not promos, not uh, agendas, not, you know, it's the game. You know, tell me what's going on in the game and the impact that this or that play has had on the game and then what the outcome of this game may have on the landscape of, of the NFL or college, whatever, you know, whatever league you're covering. And I think Fox is the best at that. Fox attitude, you hear that term a lot, two words, Fox attitude. I think the Fox attitude is, hey, man, this is sports. Let's have some fun. And when you watch the studio shows, whether it's uh, Big Noon on Saturday or, you know, the unbelievable most watched NFL show that uh, Fox NFL Sunday has been, that's what you see is a bunch of guys having a good time. And more oftentimes than not, fans of sports want to see the guys that are calling the games and the guys that are in the studio setting up the games. They want to know that they're as into it as they are as fans. And I think Fox does that better than anybody. And uh, so that, to me, that's the definition of the Fox attitude. I'm, I'm going to tell you, for five or six years, the last four or five years of my time at CBS, that was where I saw my destination as being, that that's the place where I wanted to work. You know, as it turned out, uh, I left CBS a little sooner than anticipated. Uh, <laughs> but but it was, you know, God has a way of, uh, of taking care of you, you know, and I, I landed more than just uh, softly. I landed in a better place for me at that time. So, it's been a, a tremendous run there. It's hard to believe now that I'm in my eighth year. You know, in my second year, uh, after my first season away from Spencer, his contract was coming up, and it just so happened that Fox was making some changes with their with their analysts. Uh, Charles Davis, we all know and love Charles, had just got an opportunity to uh, uh, move from uh, the college game to the pro game, and he was leaving – Gus Johnson to go work the NFL on Fox uh, with Kevin Burkhart on our number two team. That created an opening for Joel Klatt, who had worked with me in my first year at Fox, to move up to work with Gus, which meant I needed a – and I also worked some with Brady Quinn, who was doing some uh, Saturday games with me. Joel was working with me during the week because he was in the studio on weekends. But we did the Pac-12 championship together that year when Marcus Mariota in Oregon went on to play for the national title. And there was, there was an opening. And they, they actually asked me, did I have a preference in who I'd like to work with? You know, I've been in this business a long time. No executive ever asked me my opinion about who to work with. <laughs> wow. I mean, ever. And, uh, and I, knew, I knew Spencer's contract was coming up. And I reached out to Spencer and I told him, uh, Look, they asked me, and I'm going to tell them you. And uh, lo and behold, they put us together. Uh, and we've been now together, counting the time at CBS. And the second year that I was at Fox, he joined me. So this is our seventh year together at Fox out of the eight that I've had. And I, we, we had uh, uh, 18 years together at, uh, at CBS. That's, that's 
24 of the last 25 years. That's a lot. So, you know, when you're working with your best friend every week, sure makes it fun. My daughter's uh, son is named after Spencer. So, you know, we're really tight. And uh, it's, it, I think it shows. I, you can't fake chemistry. It, it just happens. And I don't think you can work on chemistry. It either happens or it doesn't. It happened for Spencer and I in the studio from the jump when he joined me my second. It's interesting. He joined me at CBS my second year hosting when uh, Lou Holtz took the South Carolina job and Craig James went to the NFL today. Spencer joined me at that point and was with me all the way through. And now in my second year at Fox, he's joined me and he's been with me ever since. You could tell that you guys are having fun too, by the way. I just want to go on the record as saying that. You could tell that you guys are having fun. You could tell that you guys have been working together for a long time. And there, there's, like you said, that word chemistry. It just works. Yeah. And like you said, you could tell when, I mean, if you've done this at all for any length of time or, or even if you haven't, I think you can pretty much spot when chemistry is being faked or forced, and that's that's not the case with you guys at all. You can tell that you guys are having fun. Now, you referenced yeah. the Ed Ogeron situation. You know i got to ask you about that. So, <laughs> I mean, you're, yeah. you're a Louisiana native. Chateau Brando still resides there in the great right. state of Louisiana. So, I, I will just ask you just kind of a broad way of framing this thing up. How do you assess that entire situation? I mean, what was your reaction when you heard that they were parting ways? I was not surprised because of all the things that had been mounting up. And, you know, we're a little bit like Mississippi in the sense that we're a big little state. I mean, Baton Rouge and New Orleans together give us a, gives us a greater population base than Mississippi. But we're, very, we're more alike than we're, than we're different. Mm -hmm. And you know what I mean when I say in places like Jackson – or even Hattiesburg or uh, Biloxi Gulfport, there's enough to do, but everybody sort of knows everybody, you know, or, or knows everybody's business or thinks they know everybody's business. <laughs> uh, and, and Louisiana is like that. I think Baton Rouge is even, it, it's, it's heightened a lot because it's the state capital and because it's the center of commerce in the state. And since Katrina, so much of New Orleans uh, moved you know, west to, to towards Baton Rouge. So it's actually the biggest city in the state now, not New Orleans. So that's changed uh, the makeup of the state a little bit. And, you know, everything's just bigger there. You know, it just is. But it's still, as I said, small town college enough where, you know, little things that could happen that wouldn't be noticed, you know, in a, in a, in a bigger town or, you know, or a strong pro city with a, a larger urban area to it. You can kind of get lost and things don't, you know, you just don't hear about them. That's not going to be the case in Baton Rouge. So anything and everything that, that, uh, that is a, considered a misstep, uh, people are going to hear about. And I think a lot of that went on with Ed uh, in the aftermath of winning the national championship. And you add to that the COVID season and, and all of the unrest in our country with regard to social justice and how that impacted a lot of the players on the LSU team. Uh, this just after, you know, winning a national championship and being invited to the White House in a very turbulent presidential election, there were just some missteps that, that Ed made that, you know, if, if even if he had had a publicist with him nonstop, 24 hours, 365 days out of the year, I don't know that that could have made a difference. He's just sort of 
he's an honest Cajun guy from down there in Cutoff, Louisiana, South Lafouche. <laughs> they always speak their mind. They always have. And I think that's one of the blessings about, you know, his run and all the things that made uh, him the perfect guy at the perfect time when Miles was gone and, and helped them on that national title run. Those were all tremendous assets. But those assets can turn into liabilities when, you know, there are things that happen that are outside your control. And I think a lot of things happened, uh, not just in Baton Rouge, but all across the country that were outside our control. We all had to deal with it. We all had to adjust and adapt to it. I think we had to deal with some difficult truths. I I know in, in my business, I did without question. Thankfully, because of the great relationships that I have with all the people I work with, and, and one of the things that we actually did, and you'll, you'll, this is kind of one of those eye-opening moments, I think, that we all need to take stock in sometimes. When COVID hit and we were all locked down, we had a lot of time for idle thought. And sometimes we all, I think, can think too much, you know, and, and, and that can cause problems. And uh, one of the things that we did as a football crew was we had a uh, – every Tuesday night, our entire crew would get together, and we would do a Zoom call, and we'd talk about everything that was going on in the country. Hmm. Not just about sports, but everything that was going on in the country. And uh, I learned a great deal, not just from, you know, the people in our crew, but uh, even some things from Spencer's point of view that, you know, I had not really thought about. You know, there's – you know, when you think about relationships, we talk about the chemistry that he and I have. You know, I think there are relationships in our, our life uh, can manifest a different thought. For instance, if you have a coworker that you really think a lot of, that person can be a comrade. But is that comrade going to be with you always? Or is that comrade just one to battle with you? But will, will that comrade tell you things that you really need to know but don't? You can also have, uh, you know, a colleague. A, a, a colleague can be someone that you feel really comfortable about w- within the business. But that colleague may be just a business relationship, may not be a personal relationship. In my case with Spencer, he's a confidant. And a confidant is someone that you know you can tell anything to, and it stays between the two of you. And I don't know in our country today that we have too many people that can say they have confidants. Mm. You may have friends, you may have colleagues, you may have comrades, but I don't know how many people have confidants, people that they know they can trust with everything that's going on in their world. I've always been, I think, really open with the people that I know and love, but I've, I've never been more open than I have been with the people that I've worked with that became confidants. I had that kind of relationship with John Saunders when I was at ESPN, and I have that relationship with Spencer Tillman now. And so, you know, a lot of times difficult truths are hard for people to come to terms with. You know, there are times when maybe something I might say could be, uh, you know, maybe maybe it lands the wrong way with certain people. Uh, But because I'm a type A and because I'm outspoken, uh, it may be misunderstood or misrepresented by some. You know, Spencer is the kind of guy that could quickly point out to me, you know, hey, Tim, you need to be aware of such and such. And then I could go and take care of that, whatever it is. Well, that's a confidant. I mean, that's someone that really is looking out for your best interests. And I've done the same for him from time to time on different matters, not about 
my personality and how, you know, uh, what I might say that's uh, flippant or my, what I might say that I was joking about, if it landed wrong with somebody that I was unaware of, man, I want to, I want them to know that I didn't, you know, I didn't mean it that way. You know, that's the kind of friend I'm talking about. Well, I think in a lot of cases, and this may be true with Ed uh, as well, I mean, I don't know, I'm not down there on a, on a daily basis, but I think honestly, without question, when he was dealing with the situation uh, politically and uh, those marches were taking place, you know, in the aftermath of the Floyd situation, uh, and he said what he did about um, when he asked about President Trump at that time, he was very outspoken and endearing towards him, which he has the right to be. But there are always going to be consequences for what you might say. I think there was a part of the team and the families of the, the, the players on the team that were, you know, that they, they, they didn't land well with it. And so those, those are situations that leaders, whether it's a, a leader of a broadcast team or a leader of, a, a, of an entire football program, I know that's a strange contrast I'm trying to draw, but I think it's true. Uh, everyone has to be more mindful in today's climate of what they say and how the interpretation of what they say lands. I think a lot of that happened with him, you know, being misunderstood. Uh, and, it, and it can happen. And, and if you don't have a, a, a circle around you, uh, a very close circle that, that uh, you'll listen to, okay, it can have a dramatic impact on you when you're in that kind of position. I mean, there was no one hotter, bigger, more popular, and had uh, and had, had as much success in the state of Louisiana over a two-year period, uh, the 18 and 19 seasons, than at Orgeron. How many times have you heard this about from a football standpoint with teams, players, how they handle their success? You know, when they're BMOC on campus after a big game, you you hear announcers say it all the time. Mm-hmm. How does this team run with a full cup of success? Okay, how do they handle? that end of it. And we see week after week after week that a lot of teams don't handle it very well. And I think in this case, knowing what I do about the situation down there, having a lot of uh, affinity for Ed, but an understanding of what went wrong with Ed, I I think that's what we're dealing with here. I I think uh, it's really unfortunate that it, it, it happened this way. It is somewhat unique to Louisiana in the sense that people can go from loving you hard to not love it hard, <laughs> you know, where that that's the South Louisiana way. I mean, they uh, Cajuns are the best at loving you and telling you how much they love you. But if you cross them, they'll turn really quickly, you know, and it's one of them uh, and, and had been one of them, one of us. Uh, and I think in a few cases, there was a uh, violation that occurred more than just a time or two with a few of those fans of, of Ed and Ed's work. And uh, it began to pile up when, you know, poor decisions were made in replacing uh, a defensive coordinator and an offensive coordinator. And then when you saw the results on the field go the wrong way, then it, it had consequences. I'm here to tell you, though, and this is without, without question, one of the great double standards of all time about sports is that if, if all of those problems had taken place off the field, if he'd won every game, none of this comes to the forefront. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about winning. Okay, in sports, the double standard will always be there. Uh, if you win, we'll sweep this under the rug. If you don't, it can become a mounting cer- set of circumstances that can can contribute to your 
your um, uh, your exit. I, I got to tell you, I think you know he handled it well. Uh, I think the uh, athletic director Scott Woodward was just superb in the way he couched it when they had that press conference. And for the benefit of the program moving forward, I think that uh, it you, you couldn't have asked a bad situation to be handled better, which is very uncommon in Louisiana. Very, very uncommon. We usually have all of our wounds wide open for everyone to see with massive bleeding from a PR standpoint. And I think this one was actually handled very well. I know that's a long answer, but I think it's an accurate answer. He's Tim Brando, national sports commentator, Fox Sports. He is Spencer Tillman. They've got Texas Tech, uh, Kansas State uh, coming up this weekend. Is that right? Mm-hmm. 11 o'clock kick on Fox. You guys check it out. So I got to ask while I've got you, because you and I will text frequently during the season just about different things. I wanted to uh-huh. ask you this on air. The Ole Miss-Tennessee fourth quarter the whole thing that went down, I was like, I've got to ask Tim Brando what his – because you just tell it like it is. So I'm going to ask you, what do you make of that and the subsequent penalty and response by the SEC? Was it enough? Was it not enough? How how do you keep this from happening in the future? Because there's a lot of people that are saying the penalty was not stiff enough. What say you? How many times have you heard me say college football needs a czar? Oh, a a million at least. for how long? Oh, gosh. 20 uh, years? Easily. Easily. Yeah, 20 years. Well, this is Exhibit A right here. There are other examples, A1, A2, A3, A4. We can go right down the litany of situations, whether it deals with uh, the mishandling of uh, an officiating situation on the field or with replay, getting it wrong and the league has to send out an apology, but nothing happens from the outcome standpoint. Hey, we're just sending out an apology. No one's accountable for the mistake that's being made, you know, in an end game situation, you know, the $250,000 fine is is like just a transference of capital. That's all that is. I mean, (laughs) the SEC sending them how much money from its television deal yeah, I mean, come on. Once they get Texas and Oklahoma into the league, it's going to be seventy million annually. I think it's right around forty-eight to fifty now, somewhere in that neighborhood. So, what's two hundred fifty thousand dollars moving from one place to the other within the league? That's a style over substance maneuver, and everyone should know that. And then to tell the the, the team within the uh, letter that's sent, uh, you're also uh, going to have to find and identify with all of your television equipment, who these people were, and make sure that they are disciplined, suspended from X number of, of games to come to the game. I mean, come, re- yeah, how are you going to police that? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, really? How are you going to police that from a conference office? Uh, again, it's all style, no substance. It's a bad situation for any conference to be in, for any conference commissioner to have to deal with. And it should be outside their boundaries. It should be a college football decision made by someone in a position of power greater than that of a conference commissioner. Because ultimately, the conference commissioner, his job, he's working for the presidents of the institutions within the league. So if this had happened at Florida State, we'd be talking about the ACC. Same thing would happen if we were talking about this at uh, 
Utah, it would be the conference office. College football commissioners govern, for the most part, as a group, all of what we watch on Saturday. But they do so working solely for the constituencies that pay them, okay? And that's just fundamentally not, not the way to govern the totality of the sport. We need unified leadership where there is a body that is looking out for what's good for all of college football, not just, not just this constituency in the South or a constituency uh, in the Southeast. Or, I mean, something's got to be done. And whether that's just a rotating commissioner of the five or six conferences that is in a position of being power, the, the, the supreme leader of all of college football that's doling out all of the consequences for wrongdoing for a period of, say, maybe three years, and then somebody else takes over, like we used to do with the BCS. You know, if somebody's in the barrel for two years. I don't know how, the, how they want to do it, but they need to do it. Because what's done in one league and what's done to one team uh, doesn't stack up with what's being done in another league and to another team. It's, it's part of the, the, the real issue that our sport has been challenged with for such a long period of time. We see it with the realignment situation. We see it with NIL. We see it with every, literally every issue that college football has faced and will face in its future. We see a collective imbalance in leadership and the disciplinary action that's taken. That was, that was as bad a situation for college football as I think I've ever seen. Let me tell you, our game started, because I keep up with such things. I DVR the games. As you know, I have a, a daughter and son-in-law that went to Ole Miss. I have another daughter and son-in-law that were at LSU. So, you know, they keep up, and I'm always talking to them after games and before games. Our game started an hour after their game. Okay, we were on uh, out in Seattle an hour later. Our game had finished. We were in the car headed back to our hotel, <laughs> and they were still playing the last 54 seconds of the of the game because of the delays and everything else. So the game went, went, was, had to be a five, a four-hour, four 45-minute to five-hour game. Are you kidding me? I mean, that's crazy. It's just nuts. Uh, that, that in and of itself is, is, is dumb. And I do think the two teams, uh, the leaders for both Tennessee and Ole Miss on the field, are to be commended for doing what they had to do to get through it. You know, I, I thought Heupel and Lane did the best that they could with the situation. But the lack of management, and, that, and this is another thing. Anybody says that, well, this is something that the, uh, you know, both teams have to know. No, no, no. This is, a, you know, what's going on with the fans, even if they're fans of Ole Miss, okay, it's going on inside Neyland Stadium in Knoxville. Mm-hmm. The home team runs the game. Game management, every aspect of game management falls to the home team wherever a football game is being played, okay? Both on the field, in the stadium, around the stadium, outside the stadium, that is the covenant of that home team. So this doesn't – I don't care if Ole Miss fans were involved. This is about, you know, those that are in charge of uh, security at Neyland Stadium in Knoxville, Tennessee. Nothing more, nothing less. So, you know, again, it, those penalties have to be to them, no one else. But uh, it was a sad, sad, and bad, bad look 
you know, for the SEC. But it can happen anywhere. I mean, it's not indigenous to the SEC. But I will tell you, because of the reputation the league has, and it's just mean more moniker, it makes them look a lot worse. College football in and of itself needs to take a long, long look at uh, the way it governs and that we need unified leadership in every aspect of the sport. So I don't care how you go about doing it, but all five, power five, and if it becomes six power leagues in the future because of realignment, whatever, I don't care. Determine who you want for a period of, how many years to be the commissioner of the college game, because that's what we need. And until we have such an office, these kinds of things are going to continue to pop up. Yeah. It's sad because, you know, I've got some Tennessee fans that, that I'm friends with and, you know, they're just sick about it. You know, it doesn't represent the entire volunteer no. nation. That's what sucks about this whole no, thing. I get that. These, these conversations aren't going to stop either. No, you know, they're always going to be this way. You know, the infighting, the fighting amongst themselves. And uh, like I said, you know, outside the South, outside the SEC, situations like this pop up. It's an embarrassment. You know, it's an embarrassment for the conference, an embarrassment for, you know, what's really important. And we, these kids that were throwing all that stuff and going bonkers over Lane, how old were they when all that happened with them <laughs> leaving for U.S.? Are, really? <laughs> about, with, with social media today and everything leading up to this or that, that's what got everyone revved up. You know, something's got to be done, you know, on a national scale about this. This isn't something that, you know, Greg Sankey can solve on his own. I mean, other than what did he do? He came up with a number that was 150,000 more than tearing down a goalpost and storming the field. So what? Again, it comes off as just a transference of funds, nothing more, nothing less. Yeah, and the other thing to this is, you know, who brings the golf ball to a football game? I mean, that's the other – and a mustard bottle. And, I mean, Lane's having to dodge all of these objects. Yeah, yeah. And I'm like, this is a college football game. And this was a night where Tennessee was supposed to be – it was going to be a big night for Tennessee football, going against number 13 yeah. Ole Miss. And it was all – Lane's coming back. And it was just a, right. a stage that was set beautifully for Tennessee. And whether they win or lose, they had a chance to – they, they could have lost the game and still won the night, if that makes sense, and, and they didn't do that. Well, you know, I, I've said this before, and I'll leave you with this. I, I, I've said this before, and I, I know fans don't like it when I do it, and they feel like I'm arrogant when I say it. And I, I'll take that heat on Twitter or anyplace else if somebody wants to go there. But, look, I'll engage with fans, but I'll also tell them when they're off their rockers. <laughs> and some of them are off their rockers. And talk to anybody that's ever been involved in college football, as much as we all love it. And you ask the question, what's the best and worst things about college football? The best thing about college football is fans, the passion. You know, you know, it's us against them. It's our, our way of life versus your way of life. And that's what makes the sport so great. What's the worst thing about college football? The fans. <laughs> the ones that go over the edge because of all those other things that I just mentioned that made it so great. You know, uh, and, and again, this is why I think that uh, the minds of those that are leaders uh, that are smarter than, you know, guys on the radio or guys doing play-by-play uh, -play like you and me, um, they, they need to do something about it. And I think first and foremost, you're much stronger if as a group you have put someone in command of everything, not just your domain, 
but everything. So I'll, I'll ask you this before I let you get out of here. And thanks for joining us on the KDMC guest line. It's Tim Brando, national sports commentator for Fox Sports. They've got Texas Tech and Kansas State coming up this weekend. He and Spencer Tillman, 11 o'clock kick on Fox Sports. Heisman Trophy. I got to ask, I know how you feel about the Heisman. In Mississippi, we're having a debate right now. Matt Corral, Bryce Young in Alabama. Is there a third that, that you have a choice for the Heisman? or Who do you choose for the Heisman? Who do you think has the upper hand right now? Is it Matt? Is it Bryce? Is it someone else? Where do you stand on that? It's so soft this year because there are no dominant teams. And lately, the, the award has gone to the best player on the best team, the most dominant player on the most dominant team. You know, there, there's some Georgia defenders that, that I think are going to get some votes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I mean, there are. And they should. Uh, and that would skew, that's going to skew the vote in a very large way. I mean, it is, uh, without a doubt. But I think that anyone that's playing in games that have greater magnitude at the end of the year will have the best chance. That's the problem for Corral. That's why these games that are coming up for Ole Miss are so important. You know, the, right now, the biggest stage he was on, he had a poor outing, and Alabama mauled Ole Miss. That's a problem. Trying to overcome that makes it tough. But that, that isn't to say that it's all that all is lost for him. I mean, if they were to win out and his numbers are just through the roof, this could be one of those years like the 88 season when Barry Sanders kind of came out of nowhere and stole the Heisman from Rodney Pete and Troy Aikman. Uh, in 88. We've just got a very balanced year. You know, my opinion is Corral is the best quarterback in the country, and he'll be the first quarterback taken in the draft. But again, you got to have, uh, you know, an Ole Miss game needs to resonate nationally in a way that seemingly all of Alabama's do. Okay, and that's that's the thing. That's what gives Bryce, you know, an upper hand in that conversation uh, right now. If you're, we're just talking provincially about that. But there, there are so many others in so many different places uh, to watch college football. Who knows what might happen in the Big Ten with some of that talent uh, in some very meaningful games. Mm. And, uh, what if they got five, maybe six teams in the top 12 or 13? So it's going to come down to that, I think, ultimately. They, they don't like for us to talk about our votes. And I really don't mind because I, I, I despise the Heisman as a conversation piece <laughs> until November anyway. But um, but that's where I'd fall right now on that. That's why I asked you that, because I, I, I knew I would get a reaction out of it. Because I know, I know how you feel about <laughs> it at this point of the season. I, I get it. Yeah. But, but I have you know, to... you know why people are talking? You know why people <laughs> talk about the Heisman on television? You really want to know? Sure. Because advertisers, because advertisers will pay for a segment that says uh, Heisman Talk, yep. sponsored by so-and-so. So it's a sales obligation, which forces TV announcers to talk about it. You know? And uh, that was some of the things in the studio that we had to do at CBS that I just went, oh, God, i got to do this again. <laughs> All right, Vern, time for the Heisman update brought to you by Geico. You know, how many times do I have to do that? <laughs> I, I think I counted on YouTube one time when when I was yeah. just, yeah, I think I counted probably uh, 175,000, somewhere in there. Yeah. So many times you had to do that. But, oh, gosh, it's going to be a fun ride coming down the stretch. It's hard to believe that uh, we're – just about at the halfway point. So always appreciate the time with you. Safe travels uh, this weekend. We'll be watching uh, you and Spencer coming up this weekend, 11 o'clock kick, thanks, Texas Tech. Thanks a lot. Yeah. And, and congratulations to you and all of uh, your endeavors. They're going so well there at the Jackson 
and uh, well, all through the state of Mississippi. I'm happy for you. I appreciate that. It's just been, hey, we got to get you on the show and in your abundance of spare time one day. Uh, I know you've got <laughs> spare time all the time, but best wishes to you as always. He's Tim Brando, national sports commentator with Fox Sports. We take a break. Come back with more in a moment here on Just Saying. Family owned and operated since 1986, Lakeside Molding has become the trusted source of architectural products throughout the South. They offer fine interior architectural moldings, custom millwork, and cabinet doors designed and hand crafted in Flowood. Their showroom on Lakeland Drive is stocked with today's most sought-after interior details, including corbels, post, fireplace mantles, bath vanities, butcher block islands, mirrors, and much more. Tim Shoemaker and his staff work closely to meet client needs for new construction, restoration, and remodeling projects. Lakeside Molding, where details make the difference. Before digging in my yard, I always call 811 to have my utility lines marked to avoid service interruptions or injury. As Centerpoint Energy says, it's better to call 811 now than 911 later. And if I suspect a gas leak, I leave the area immediately on foot and call Centerpoint Energy and 911 from a safe, remote location. <coughs> really? Centerpoint Energy invests in its infrastructure to help keep you safe. Centerpoint Energy, always there. Have a topic you'd like discussed on Just Saying? Shoot Jason an email. It's really that simple. Jason at spiritmedianet.com. You never know when your topic or even you may make an appearance on the show. Now, let's roll on here on Just Saying. All right, we roll on here on Just Saying. It is a beautiful week here in Mississippi. I hope it's beautiful wherever you are. I mean, look, the temperature has changed. Let me say that right. My old boss at Super Talk Mississippi used to say, make sure you say temperature. Say it right. Don't say temperature. Say temperature. So the temperature is nice across most of the South. At least it it is here in Mississippi. It's nice weather, and I hope it's nice wherever you are. And getting ready for a big weekend of college football, and you know, with that, we got to have in, we just call him the coach. He's Coach Max Howell on the KDMC guest line. And, and Coach, I want to go back to last weekend and, and kind of recap a couple of the storylines. Unfortunately, one of the storylines, not a great storyline, kind of an ugly storyline with what happened at, at Tennessee. You and I have talked about it a couple of times this week off air. Just what do you make of that in, in your career coaching playing covering college football where does that rank in in terms of ugly displays by a fan base i think it's probably ranks right up at the top the thing that really got me was the mustard jar <laughs> the mustard container yeah i mean <laughs> well i mean those those uh pumps at the like jordan rogers said on the broadcast you know those mustard pumps get kind of a uh, cumbersome there at the hot dog stand right well, yeah, but I, I really, I honestly believe if they'd, have, you know, if they'd have done run or test it, they found out that that was a, a flask in, the, in disguise. Uh, <laughs> I don't think it was probably mustard in it, but, but you know, but all of that, you know, played a role with it. And I, and I read Lynn Scarborough from uh, Lindy's magazine article, and he attributes a lot of it to the beer sales uh, in the stadium down on campus, and of course that's predominantly around the country and. Uh, that that is all, and that does change the attitude so many times. But I think that two things on that quickly. We won't belabor the point, but they had won two big ball games in a row. They had not had a sellout in three years at that stadium. One hundred six thousand, I believe, I read 
paid attendance that night. The weather was good. They played very well. But Ole Miss kind of controlled the ball game. But they came back. Tennessee was coming back. And, you know, we can all point to the, the spot on that long fourth down play. It, it got everybody fired up. and They didn't think the spot was right. I thought the officials did as good a job uh, as they could have done. They took enough time to, you know, try to evaluate every angle for that, the place it's still a, a just recall that place. But, but if they missed it, they missed it five or six inches either way. So, you know, I, I think all of that played a role uh, in the, the attitude, not to justify the end result, though. Uh, and I, I guess the, on the kind of on the comical side was the golf ball that uh, <laughs> Coach Gibson ended up with. And it, by the way, it matched the color of the flash, the busted car. <laughs> <laughs> I kind of like that. I mean, I'm kind of color-oriented guy. Not color-blind, I don't think. But anyway... It was, you know, I, I thought it was, I, I thought certainly the, the fine was like 250000 I think that was justified. I, I don't think they could have, you know, they've got the fines for rushing the field after the game. Well, you know, I, I, that's kind of the big step. That's been going on for hundreds of years. If they been playing 100 years at least, but they've been playing with, a, you know, where the underdog wins the ball game. But the chance of somebody getting hurt at that is not, you know, you may fall down and skid a knee or you know, maybe somebody will kick you or whatever, but throwing stuff out of the fans, uh, out of the stands, uh, past the fan base, you know, that's going to be dangerous. In particular, you throw a golf ball. If that hits you in the head or hits you in the eye, you're going to have some major problems with that. So I like what the conference did about now. These schools can handle two hundred fifty, five hundred thousand dollars fines at a time. And I would say to you, if it happens again, I will bet you the fine four to five hundred thousand this next time. Yeah, I guess that's the thing that bothers me about what the fine was because if it's 250000 for rushing the field and Tom Hart asked this question on the broadcast he said if it's two fifty for rushing the field how much is it for almost injuring someone with a golf ball, a vape pen uh, a full mustard bottle and let's be honest most of those water bottles were filled with dip juice I mean, we know yeah. what that is here in the South. I mean, it's, it's spit. Yeah. It's saliva. It's disgusting. So, to me, and I didn't feel like it really sent a message. Am I am I seeing that through red and blue glasses to say that that really doesn't send a message to Tennessee? Well, I, I'm telling you now, if you go back and look at the, the budgetary situation at Tennessee, I won't disagree with you. I think it did. And I'm going to tell you why. Okay. Because they are fairly above break even. They've been in the red for the last four or five years. It did as a department. I'm talking about five to ten billion a year mm. in the red. I mean, we're not talking about they they have an abundance of money. They don't. Uh, where they the, the other teams outside the football, basketball, baseball, rather than uh, the flight of games, they bust them. Uh, I know that for a fact. Uh, and that all started after Pat Simmons passed away, and they had to reconstruct. Uh, consolidate the athletic department rather than have a complete women's division and men's division that brought everything together. And the expenditures that were coming out because Pat, some, you know, people paid to come see that basketball team play. Well, all that would have went down the hole because they didn't, they didn't do too well. So I'm just giving you that. Here's the thing, too, is, is we won't belabor this very much, but when programs like that that have been relatively good through the years and they fall, I can go back and talk to you about Texas, I go tell you about Alabama, I can tell you about Southern Cal, or Ohio State, or Michigan, whatever those 
type programs that have been in national prominence and they fall. The football and basketball programs are just the public uh, signature of what they are. The, the problems are inferior for the administration. Uh, that means that they've, got, they've had three chancellors, they've had four athletic directors, and three or four coaches in the last 10 years. Uh, they've had multiple changes on the board of trustees. The Haslids that, uh, that ran it for so long tried to keep it going, and they made some bad decisions. They overheard, of course, they have the other, other pilot truck stop people, tons of money. But all of that played a role it, why the, the programs are like that. We had the Phil Fulmer situation in football. And, you know, we had all those things happening to them. And, uh, it's just been, it's been constant turmoil. So that's another reason they've had lawsuits after lawsuits for various reasons. That's why their budget technical situation has been in the red for them. So I just, I, that was why I said I disagree with you on the 250. That did send the message to them because they don't, they don't have the money. Before we leave this game, I want to ask you about Matt Corral because what he did, in my opinion, Saturday night, you're without two offensive linemen is what I learned now. Ely was not 100% your number one running back. You're without Jonathan Mingo, easily one of your favorite targets. Then you lose Braylon Sanders. So you're down two wide receivers, two offensive linemen. Your number one running back is not 100%. And you're without your number one tight end in front of 100 thousand plus and you know you're going to have to score every click just to just to keep pace was that a heisman moment for matt corral saturday night it, it was for the he and the team for, based on what the high but the heisman will go to somebody jason that wins terrible ball games mm-hmm. uh the last team the last guy that won the heisman that did come from a team that won more was Paul Hoarding in 1952. They just, the, the, the officials won't look at it. It doesn't matter. He is their offense. I mean, he carried the ball 30 times for 195 yards. He threw for two, what, 235 or whatever. He is their offense. Uh, and I certainly hope he's able to play this week. And, uh, you know, he went down right there toward the ball game because I think he was just completely exhausted. But uh, needless to say, he'll he'll probably get an invite, but I would bet right now, whatever, that he would win the high school because of the one law friend. He's Coach Max Howell joining us on the KDMC guest line. All right, so Georgia showed last week that they're just head and shoulders above everybody else, maybe even okay. including Alabama. When you look at Georgia and that defensive squad and what they were able to do against a pretty good Kentucky team, I mean, what Mark Stoops yep. has done at Kentucky is impressive. You know, a school that is known for its basketball more than anything else and what he's been able to do is impressive. So, you know, Georgia, are they easily head and shoulders above everybody else? And if there's a reason outside of the defense, why is that? Well, I can tell you this, it, it, the Georgia football team basically are they, – they've been disguised. They disguise when they play at Georgia because Sunday afternoon they are the Falcons. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I don't know where, how close you watch those three defensive linemen. Now, you want a high school winner, put number 99 up there. No doubt. That, that is the best, yeah, that's the best defensive lineman I've seen in, in the SEC in years. That guy is six foot six and 255. It can run like a deer. Uh, they're well coached. Look, you know my feelings about the Georgia group. Uh, they, they're Kirby Smart brought everything from Alabama that he could steal out of the dressing room and out the office, and, and he's utilized it. Don't get me wrong; he's utilized it. His hats off to him. I mean, they're loaded with, with. I'm telling you, with five stars in every position. And I made the statement the other day. He, the reason he had, you know. 
win the national championship is because he makes, you know, mistakes from the sideline. <laughs> play call or substitution pattern, all that stuff we talked about. You know, I made a statement the other day. Finally, he's recruited players that can overcome his coaching. Mm-hmm. Uh, because really, you can let them play. Here's two things you can watch. Well, you don't have to rush but three, and it takes five to block three uh, almost every snap, and it does, and still they're going to get a sack or two. That's one thing. But the key to that is to me is where I watch, I watch the linebackers as secondary. Well, they can throw just a quick out pattern, Jason, just like a three-step drop, and it's the guy's turning on the outside. And time, time the ball there, at least four defensive, two defensive backs and two linebackers are sitting there waiting on it. That's, that's talent. Now, you can coach that, but you can't coach them to run that fast. That's what they've got. They've got it at every position. So, yeah, they're, they're hands and shoulders. And if Alabama wants to play today, I'm taking Georgia. I mean, physically, if nothing else. Because Alabama's offensive front, they got problems on their right side, too, their right guard and right tackle. They, I can promise you they keep blocking either one of those three guys. But let's – if you watched it, whoever's coaching the defensive front did a remarkable job. They loaded all three of them over the center of the guard. And they blocked one field goal and one extra point uh, because they couldn't block them. And that's, you know, that's what they're going to do the rest of the year. Yeah, George is the real thing. Here, here's, as we get ready for playoffs, the most intriguing part is who ends up two, three, and four. Because I think we're going to continue to have a change almost every week. Uh, is that because of the competition level? And Georgia is so far ahead of everybody else. There's, you know, there's a probably eight or six or eight teams in the country that's probably in that two, three, four range, and they're gonna play each other in the weekends. You know, the week on Sunday that those two, three, four positions will change. Now the committee that comes out on the second of November, which is what two weeks. As we look at that, that's who, that's what matters, not the AP or the coaches poll. But that committee's poll that comes out, that will be uh, – we'll get a real test then and a good look at who they think is going to be the top four teams. Mississippi State, I just want to – I know how you feel about just the overall situation there. But, you know, against Alabama, it's going to be tough to, I guess, display some sort of competitiveness. It really didn't look like Mississippi State was ready for that game. Am I reading that wrong? What do you make of their performance against Alabama? Well, I just I just think it was Alabama was more ready than they were, but the talent level was, you know, a decided difference in that. And, and, the, and the scheme was different. You've heard me say how many times that, that I thought that system would have problems being successful over the long haul. And that means that you can throw 60 times the ball game and complete 40 or 50 up, and, and most of them are less than 10 yards. And, uh, it, you know, it's going to take a quick throw to get it out. Well, if your coverage is good uh, and you rush at five or six rather than three, then you're going to get to the quarterback. I mean, it sacks Alabama have seven, I believe. So people are going to pick up on that. Everybody gets scared because they do that short pass situation, and they will pick it up eight, ten yards against most people. But you can run, you know, you can run numbers up four and five hundred yards and still lose. Coaches don't keep their job on stats; they keep their jobs on wins and losses. So, you know, that's why I think uh, I think I think that system is going to have a hard time. Somebody else now is going to pick that up and get that tape 
and they're going to find out how Alabama beat them by 40. And I think that's what we're going to see. Yeah, you're right. Seven sacks and nine tackles for loss. And now the, the question about Will Rogers is if he's healthy or not. You know, Mike Leach doesn't really talk about injuries. Uh, was kind of got snippy with a reporter at the press conference earlier this week. Not sure if you saw that, but yeah. he doesn't really talk about injuries. And so this could, you know, I was going to go ahead and start previewing games this week. But, you know, Mississippi State Vandy, I was going to say that's one of our who cares games this week. But, Man, if Will Rogers can't go in that game, it, it kind of gets a little interesting for Mississippi State because they need that game to make a bowl game, correct? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't think – I evidently they, they didn't have a monitor on the sideline because the camera stayed on Will Rogers' mom the whole game just about <laughs> after he got – he went down. Yeah. And she was – I mean, every time he took a hit, she was grimacing. Because she knew. I mean, if you watch the playback, he fell right over the court. They, mm-hmm. they call it a monitor shoulder strain. I call it a dislocation. I thought it broke his collarbone, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they, it was probably a smile, a mile separation is what it was. And those things don't heal overnight. He'll be okay, but I, he'll be he'll be questionable this week. Uh, now, you saw him every time he threw the ball, where'd he go? He put that other hand right there on his shoulder because he was in pain. I felt like they probably shot him up at halftime to get him through the ball game. And that's dangerous in a joint situation like that. Particularly on a throwing arm. Right. You know, I, I can understand it on your hand or, or, you know, on your other arm. But on your throwing arm, uh, that's rolling the dice. That tells me, well, where are the other quarterbacks? I mean, wherever the other quarterbacks are, they stayed on the sideline. They weren't ready to play. That means they don't get any snaps during the week. That's interesting you say that because we're, we're there Saturday night, and, you know, I, I turned and looked to a couple of guys sitting in, to my right. One of them was Brad Logan, who was on the show last week, and, you know, it was kind of scratching my head as, why do you not go ahead and plug in another quarterback there? Because obviously Will was laboring after that he hit, was. and he probably should have been pulled. There's a lot of state fans that are really, really agitated this week with the fact that Rodgers wasn't pulled in a game, particularly after Alabama had the game well in hand and, and there was no coming sure. back. So you got to wonder now, is it Lovertich? Because Abraham, Jack Abraham is in concussion protocol, so he's – you can't go to him, and outside of Chance Lovertich, the Jackson Prep product who has some time at South Alabama, probably has more experience than Will Rogers in D1, if you think about it. Yep. He's really the only guy they have to go to outside of a freshman quarterback, so that situation will, will be interesting. He's Max Howell. We just call him Coach. He's on the KDMC guest line as we roll on here on Just Saying. The Ed Ogeron situation was so weird to me, the press conference Sunday night. You and I chatted about that a little bit earlier this week. Just an odd press conference. Just It almost felt like a hostage situation gone bad or something. I don't, I don't know. It was very, very odd to me. And just the entire situation is weird. Now he's going to coach through the end of the season, but yet he's been fired. He's going to get this huge buyout. And I thought Brody Miller of The Athletic, uh, I don't know Brody, but I, I thought he did a phenomenal write-up on The Athletic, uh, kind of detailing what led to the demise of Ed Ogeron. I'd like to hear it from your perspective. You've been a player, been a coach. You've seen it through every possible lens. What do you make of that situation? I think I think a couple of things. One is I think uh, he's – let's start with, you know, he's a Louisiana guy. That's first of all. Second is he won a national championship two years ago. Third is I think he's, he inherited a bunch of that those lawsuits that's going to surface probably sooner, later, sooner than later. 
Uh, and I think that'll have a, I'll sidetrack a bit and say, I think that'll have a very good, who takes the job, not who's offered, but who takes it. I think all of that played a role is, is they had to, they had to find because the team wasn't responding. That's first of all. It was a carryover from last year as well. It wasn't just what happened this year, just what happened last year. I think it's been a combination. But I think it, it's almost like a reward to him. They still let him recruit for next year. And mm-hmm. nobody's not even going to be there. Uh, so that tells you he's a good friend with the athletic director. So they didn't just throw him, you know, fire him and he had to hit the road. Like most, you know, most coaches get that because it probably warrants that in all fairness. They've had a few changes and, you know, a lot of things happen off the field and on the field. and uh, They have problems with administration. They have problems with assistant coaches and all that. But I don't think he did that. I think he, he, he knew what was coming. It, you should just think about this. The guy, you know, if he, whatever he wants to do here, he's going to get his, I think it's $16.9 million is what the exact number is. It, he's been making almost a, 8.3, I believe. He's the second highest paid coach in the, in the league now, uh, even higher than Jimbo, or was up until Jimbo got his raise in his extension. So we'll say he's next to Saber in that. So he had to, had to you know, the, the payoff, he could live off of that. Uh, I mean, live off of, of the interest off of that. He don't even have to touch his money and live a good life. Now, whether he ever coaches, I, I look forward to go back to coaching maybe at Louisiana Tech or somewhere like that, one of the smaller schools in, in that state. I don't think he goes anywhere else. But I, I think he's going to be like a, an ambassador for the university, and they okay with that. They didn't find the cheap. They didn't find for, you know, the, the useful things with a losing program. They just fired him because he was losing – games on the field and I don't think that's for cause you know that's that's why it gets to be somewhat of a technical side so I, that's what I think of it and that's what I see it where it's right wrong or otherwise uh you know Bill Tucker's probably the leading candidate right now for Michigan State uh Billy Napier's probably second and I think probably uh probably uh Lane Kiffin's probably third so I think they'll make a I think they'll make a decision probably sometime between the you know the end of the year or right toward the end of the year anyway for next year I think the guy's a moron, if you want to know the truth. You know how I feel about Ogeron. I think the guy's an idiot, but that's just me. No, actually, well, it's not just me. There's... You remember, see, but you remember from Ole Miss. Uh, I think he has grown up a lot since then. <laughs> but think uh, of he made some bad He made some bad decisions there. there though, he, he hired Bo Pelini last year at the request of, of some big hitters here. There's some big boosters. I know that for a fact. Yeah, that but – that started his downfall. But coach, I mean, he's he's pulling up, rolling his window down, whistling at a at a woman in uh, workout shorts, and saying, "Hey, I see you work out. We should work out too." And well, now wait a minute, wait a minute, now, Jason, yeah, you you jump on all that. Y'all had one over there that was calling hookers on the scope. No, the no scope. doubt, no doubt, <laughs> no doubt. And I look, look, I've come around on the freeze thing. You know that you you, you beat me over the head with that for a while. I know you did. <laughs> look. I can't wait to see what's going to happen when he comes back to Oxford here in a couple of weeks. That's going to be. That's going to be. Hey, I didn't pay to see that game. I'm going to tell you something, man. That's that's going to be interesting. And they look, they should have they should have gotten rid of him. What happened with Hugh is a cautionary tale as well. And he'll hear this and probably block me on Twitter. We follow each other on Twitter, so sorry, Coach. But you know, just from all accounts from other folks close to the program, you know, Coach Freeze had gotten a little too big for his britches. In addition to 
the stuff that he did with the with the phone calls. And so I think when you throw all of that together, and let's be honest, Ole Miss at the time, the AD at the time was Ross Bjork, not a fan of his either. He was looking yep. for someone to be the scapegoat. Some yep. because they were gonna get in trouble with the NCAA. He was looking for someone to throw under the bus. And yep. so, hey, look, we found these phone calls, coach. Um so we're gonna have to let you go. So no, I what's interesting is is those two guys uh probably text each other quite a bit. I'm just not an Ogeron fan, never have been. even since he's been at LSU. Well, I, you know, look, I, I don't I don't defend any of that. Haven't been at that level before. Anybody that's ever coached at that level, if you don't think you you're not under the spotlight twenty four seven, you don't need to be there because you are. It starts with the kids. Not only you got to recruit those kids to come to your school, you got to recruit to keep uh, because we got the portal now and all that stuff. And and like I say, guys that, that abuse those kind of situations, whether it be Ogeron, whether it be Hugh Freeze or whoever, uh, and you know just as I do, there are many others out there that do. Uh, but they they working on they working on thin ice first, and second is uh, they're stupid. Is all I can say because the money got so big at the at the assistant level. I mean, those coordinators all get two and three year contracts now. But yeah. Miranda that left LSU went to Baylor. He almost had to take a cut pay to go to Baylor. He's making two and a half million <laughs> as an assistant coach. So see, they all got agents on top of that. So uh, that just tells you the importance. You know, of a position like that anymore, and where there's big money and importance, uh, you actually, you know, you come under tight scrutiny, and you're in the spotlight, you know, consistently. Yeah, got to be careful. Got to be careful. As you always tell me, the higher you climb, the bigger the microscope. So you got to be careful. Of course, we deal in the football arena in this part of the country. We don't wear it, but this is you know, I have had private conversations about that. If that happens in business as well, it does. Uh, I mean, I sitting over here in a town with a small community college. And they just, goodness, they just arrested the, the bookkeeper for like 600000 Oh, my gosh. I mean, how in the heck do you think you can get away with something like that? I mean, it's, you know, it's, it's really stupid. But, hey, people, <laughs> money does funny things to people. That's money do. does a lot of things to a lot of people, no no doubt. The, the scripture tells us the love of money, the root of all evil. There's no doubt yeah. about that. All right, so let's look at the games this week. We do have three I don't care games this week. That's what we'll start calling them because apparently that got a big chuckle from you last week. So we're going to start calling yep. them the I don't care games. The I don't care games, UAPB at Arkansas. Uh, let's see, South Carolina at Texas A&M and Mississippi State at Vanderbilt. That State-Vanderbilt game could could become interesting if Will Rogers can't go, only because if he can't go and Lovertich comes in and plays well, does Will Rogers ever get his job back? That's that's something just to kind of keep on the shelf for, for next week. But all right, so yeah. the, two, the two biggest games easily, LSU – at Ole Miss, uh, Ole Miss has moved up to number 12 in the country, and you've got Tennessee going to Alabama. I thought Tennessee was hosting Alabama. Tennessee is going to Alabama, ranked number four. Uh, Ole Miss and LSU, they'll kick off the CBS game, 2.30 Central Time, Tennessee at Alabama, 6 o'clock Eastern Time. All right, let's start with LSU, Ole Miss. If they don't have I Matt think, Corral, dot, dot, dot. Uh, if they don't have Matt Corral, they don't win. Yeah. All right, that's where I feel better right now. Because it's a, it's an emotional thing, it's a leadership thing uh, that goes with that. Uh, they, they go they go to Publi. They've had him all week back there running the option. 
Is that is that what they make the blue? See, I don't even know who number two is. I've seen see the kid once one, one or two snaps. Uh, Luke Altmeyer, the the kid from Starville. I think he's the number yeah. two. Yeah. But so can he can he beat LSU? Uh, no. Can can he and will he? But I'm, I think both of those have the same answer. I I think it's too early for him to deliver those kind of goods. Yeah. Remember, still LSU. Yeah. Uh, you know, I think that's where we have to look at it in that respect. Now, if Corral's healthy and play, I think Ole Miss wins. Because I, I, you know, because remember this, LSU's coming in without their two best defensive backs. Seagull is out for the year. The other quarter's out for the year. Plus, they're still out. They're still their best defensive line is still out. So, you know, I think this with, with Corral back there, been able to run in throw if he's healthy. You know, I think they, I think Ole Miss wins that ball game. But without him, I think that's just taking a, not just taking the quarterback away, but taking a quarterback that is absolutely the leader of your football program. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's interesting, too, because uh, the emotional piece of this, uh, you got Kiffin and Ogeron, they've coached together at multiple stops, and they know each other well. They're friends. They text back and forth, and – you know, you've got the emotional part of this LSU coming in. Yep. You know, after a big win against Florida, nobody gave them a chance against Florida. And true. there's just – there's so much going on in this game. By the way, speaking of Florida, <laughs> before I get too far off the rails here with the games coming up this weekend, there's some stuff I've heard kind of churning down at Florida. I, I'm, I'm wondering if it's – if there's any any meat to it or, or, or not. After the loss against LSU, there's just been a lot of – a lot of chatter about Dan Mullen and, and his future. Any truth to that? Well, I, I think that Dan Mullen's going to be safe for another year. But I'll tell you who's not. It's Todd Flint. Mm. Uh, and I just found out for sure that his contract's up, by the way. So uh, they, they didn't have to pay him off. Uh, and that's something I didn't know. I was told yesterday, I believe, that uh, mainly because Scott Strickland is, is the athletic director, and he's overseeing a massive reconstruction of the facilities down there. Oh, I don't know how many multi-billions that they over, and they have not raised all the money yet. He did not want to make a change on that coaching staff. They had went to him to try to get rid of the, get rid of the, in fact, they didn't, the word I got, they didn't even want to review, uh, I'll pay him off, pay Todd off for one year. I think he's 1.3 or 1.5 million. They didn't want him have to pay him off this past year and agreed to, to keep him this year. And I watched that conversation between he and Todd sat, uh, this past week. He'd go over that to him and just say a word to him, turn right around and go back. Not up in his face, not pleading with him, not conversing with him. It's uh, As I was told, the, their friendship situation has cooled tremendously. So uh, I think that will be the change and probably – Benny uh, Diaz is probably going to get fired in Miami as well. Benny's work for Dan Mullen at Mississippi State. He knows him well, and they may bring him in as a defensive coordinator. Uh, but I, I say that to you, just rumors is, are rumors right now. But I think there's going to be changes, particularly assistant coach changes. Now, you let Dan go through another year. Like Remember this, though, Jason. The first three years, Dan's in his fourth year. He's going to probably go eight four. They're going to lose to Georgia. Probably win the rest of them. Mm-hmm. But the first three years, he, he won thirty ball games. Yeah, nobody else has ever done that at Florida. Furry had never did that. None of the other the coaches that came in and out of there ever won two games a year for the first three years. So he's got some, you know, he's got some creds built up, uh, even with the big guys that are completed right now. So if they make the change and he gets his recruiting straight back out. You know, I think they'll be contender. Uh, right now, Kentucky is the second-best team in the East. 
Uh, it should be Florida, but it's not. It's Kentucky. And so, you know, hats off to, to Mark Stoop for what he's doing there. All right, so the game, uh, kind of rounding out the schedule, Tennessee goes to Alabama. And, you know, we talked about it all fair how Tennessee views Alabama as one of their biggest rivals. And so you wonder coming off the – the game at Ole Miss, you know, close game. They lose in the final moments. He wondered, does that help propel them to play well against Alabama? They still feel in the hangover after losing against Ole Miss. We don't know if Hendon Hooker is going to be healthy enough to go against Alabama. There's some other guys battling injuries, according to Heupel at his Monday uh, press conference. So how do you see this game turning out? Another 40-point win for the Tide or – does Tennessee have a, a snowball's chance? Well, here's what I think they're going to do. Uh, before they get there, uh, Coach Saban's already got a couple of his managers to go in and type up big signs like the size of you and I and put them on the wall 14 and 0. That means <laughs> Alabama's won 14 and Tennessee's won good. <laughs> so, I, mean, I, think that, I think that'll answer the question right there. I mean, you know, that used to be the one of the biggest games in the South. It was the third Saturday in October. And, you know, it went on. It used to be swings. Alabama went five or six, then Tennessee went five or six. It used to be huge swings back and forth. But they're 14 and 0 <laughs> 14 years. So, uh, I, in all fairness, I think Alabama's probably happy they played at Tuscaloosa, but uh, they're hard to beat over there, you know. Being, I, I, I don't think Tennessee, Tennessee's, they just don't have the talent level to stay with Alabama. If Alabama's playing, I don't think they play very well against Florida, for example. And it certainly, you know, I've already explained the position of how Texas A&M would. They, they sacrificed two ball games, probably three, to didn't practice for that upcoming opponent, including Arkansas. Gave up the losses to those teams just to beat Alabama. I'm, I, I'm convinced that's what happened now. Uh, so we'll get a chance to see. They played too poorly two or three games that they won early in the year to, to come up and beat Alabama. Uh, they had to take advantage of everything. They had to study those tapes for weeks to find out all the weaknesses Alabama had. And, uh, they did, and they won the ball game. I think it was probably – you know, it probably lit the fire of Alabama. I don't think Alabama loses to get, get the championship against Georgia. I don't think they beat Georgia. Well, only two games that are really, <laughs> if you're being really honest with yourself, only two games that really stand out this weekend, LSU at Ole Miss and Tennessee at Alabama. And uh, hopefully right. these will be two games that uh, are at least intriguing. We'll, we'll see. We'll see how it goes. And, of course, we'll continue to monitor if Matt Corral is healthy enough to go. Coach, always appreciate it. Always great analysis from you. Always some good stuff. And, hey, we'll do it again next week. And uh, hope you enjoy your football weekend. And always appreciate your time with us. Jason, thank you so much. You know, I'll be sitting right in front of my TV. and <laughs> uh, You know, I, I record all my games as well just in case I need to go back review some of that stuff I say I can't believe that happened and I go back probably after midnight I sit down at 11 o'clock on Saturday morning I get up at midnight that's just you know this time of year that's just the way you do it and you know me you know I love to just watch it by myself because sometimes I'm hollering and screaming at the TV I'm surprised I don't throw something at it but uh, I don't I don't want to put myself in the the same 
soldiers Tennessee fans right now. Oh no, no, no! If you throw something, make make sure it's something uh, not as destructive as a golf ball or a full uh, mustard bottle full of alcohol. Just make sure it's oh, yeah, something or, soft. Or my cell phone. Yeah, yeah. Listen, or, or vape pen. You're you're not a you're not a vape guy, so I don't think we have to worry about that. So, he's Coach Max Owl. Always appreciate his time, and Coach will will do it again next week. I love to. Thank you so much, Jason, for yours. He's Coach Max Howell, as always, on the KDMC Guest Line. Appreciate his insight and analysis and joining us here as we roll on. Just saying right here on the Spirit Media Network. Hello, I'm Gary Jolly from the Tractor Store. Landowners, your Mahindra dealer is ready to give you special savings on the toughest tractors and utility vehicles on earth. During the Mahindra Red Tag Sale, hurry in for up to $7,900 in cashback savings and red tag savings only from Mahindra. Head on over to the tractor store for great savings. Learn more about the world's number one selling tractor at the tractor store in Richland. During times of uncertainty, it's comforting to know we have a healthcare system in our community that's been committed to supporting us for well over a century. In this current time, we are standing together and our bond is stronger than ever. KDMC, caring for our community like no one else can. is presented by King's Daughters Medical Center, providing quality care in a Christian environment. Visit kdmc.org to learn more about the KDMC Touch in caring for you and your family. Now, here's Jason. We roll on here on Just Saying on the Spirit Media Network. Glad that you're listening wherever you're listening, whether it's on Spotify, iTunes, we're on Google Play. Found out last week that we're on Amazon Music. So you can search for Just Saying with yours truly on Amazon Music, which is pretty cool because I use Amazon pretty much all the time. That's my go-to. Playlist, doesn't matter. Amazon Music's pretty cool. You just pay a flat rate and uh, get to listen to as many songs as you want to. You might be surprised some of the songs you find on my playlist. It is an eclectic playlist. And my next guest, he might be able to speak to that a little bit because he's been in the car with me before many trips. High school football, college football games. He's Pervy Green, my longtime broadcast partner in the booth. Yeah, I, I would say I've got an eclectic selection of music, right? You, you're still trying to get me turned on to some other stuff, but I, I think I got a pretty good palette for music, right? Well, I wasn't sure if you were you know, going to refer to your playlist. It's being eclectic or you were going to refer to yourself as being eclectic. So <laughs> I guess those two things are pretty much... Uh, Pretty much parallel, but uh, yeah, you know, I, I think you, you can still you can still stand to uh, expand your folder a little bit. You know, I'm, I'm still trying to get you to some, some old school rap, you know, and some and, and some some jazz. Lately, I've, I've tried to diverse myself into some more uh, blues and, and old R and B. So uh, yeah, I, I think you your 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 playlist is a little bit more diverse than I expected. Man, look, old school rap, you'll find everything from Run DMC to Young MC to you might find a little little Tupac. Yeah. You'll find everything from 
Tupac, Run DMC, to Poison, Bon Jovi, and then the next minute it'll be CC Winans. Not even kidding. I mean, that's that's, that's, that's my playlist, man. So that's yeah. I try to I try to keep it diverse from all genres and all walks of life. It's uh, music is therapy, man. Music is therapy. So who needs therapy this week? Because I'm telling you, between Matt Corral and Will Rogers, those guys are both pretty banged up. I think Will is more banged up than Matt. What's the chances we see both of them play this week? You know, you've got Mississippi State going to Vanderbilt. Can they get through that game without Will? I feel like they can. Matt Corral has to play for Ole Miss to have a chance against LSU. Who do you think we see this weekend, if if either of them? Well, quite honestly, I hope we see both of them. But I would understand it if we don't see either one of them. Uh, I do think, you know, it's kind of a I'm really conflicted because I really would rather see uh, them take the week to heal. That way they have a chance of finishing the season out uh, and healthy. Uh, of course, I think the biggest gains, you know, for both of them are coming down the stretch. Now, in Corral's case, I, I really you know, hope that he plays at least one half to, you know, keep him in the eyes of the place. Because he's, I mean, out of all the national sports media you listen to, you know, he's there. I mean, he's right there at one and two, depending on who he's doing the talking. So I hope he's able to play in order to keep, you know, his chances of, of finishing in the Heisman one or two uh, legitimate. But in Will's case, you know, I can't remember the nature of the injury. I think it's a spring shoulder or spring something in the shoulder. I don't know how effective it will be with a sore throwing shoulder. So, you know, if you look at the depth chart, I think you've got a chance to overtake. I saw a report where Jack Abraham wasn't even with the team this week. Mm-hmm. I think past Plumatic, maybe true freshman Sawyer Robinson. But it passed those two guys, I'm not really sure. Now, you know, out of everything you hear, Robinson uh, is pretty good. Uh, of course, young and still learning, but, but it's good. I think it's a guy that can kind of make some things happen with his feet. So, you know, it's it, it, the supporting cast is going to have to step up and really play a big role. In Ole Miss's case, it's really going to depend on them having back around on the field. Yeah, I, I was talking with uh, several people this week, and they said, look, if, if Corral doesn't play, you can pretty much hang it up. And and the thing is, is you don't see him – I don't see him not playing. Even if he's back there from a strictly a leadership standpoint, because he is the unquestioned leader of that football team, without a doubt. And I just feel like – I feel like he plays, even if it's just a decoy, even if it's just to – run the offense, and you tell him, don't run. I know that's hard for him, but you say don't run. What I have heard is they basically told him, hey, you're you're off your feet this week. You're going to be in an ice bath on a regular basis this week, uh, getting ready to go. And I think Matt is, was just worn out. I don't know that he was hurt necessarily. I think he was just beat up from 30 carries. In Will's case, you know, he's pretty much got a dislocated shoulder. So you're, you're looking at, like you said, Lovertich, or the freshman coming in. Lovertich does have D1 experience. That's the good thing. That's the silver lining for Coach Leach and the crew going up to to Music City. So that'll be interesting to see how that plays out. And just outside of the state, when you look in the SEC and the rest of college football, any storylines stand out to you where you go, huh, has there been a game that you've watched that 
maybe you didn't expect would catch your attention? I mean, what what's caught your attention outside of the SEC in Mississippi? I'm not sure about a game, but I think the one thing that I've kind of kept my eye on or keep my eye on is just the emergence of Auburn all of a sudden and how well Bo Nix played last week. I think he only missed five passes last week, 20, 21 of 26. Auburn is not completely out of this SEC West picture. Uh, A&M, of course, you know, with their upset of Alabama, they pretty much, I think, have kind of created an opening for everybody. Unfortunately, not mistake, but I, I just, you know, Auburn, I think, creates a kind of an interesting scenario with their win over Arkansas, which we all just kind of assume Arkansas was going to emerge as the favorite at number two. Uh, with that loss to Ole Miss, now they're sliding back a little bit. I think we have to keep an eye on Auburn in the in the West. Um, of course, again, I think games coming up against Ole Miss, uh, Mississippi State, and others. Auburn, we have to keep an eye on Auburn all of a sudden. Of course, in the East, pretty much Georgia, and it's all Georgia, and I think Georgia's kind of the ACC favorite right now. A little bit surprised by Florida's loss to LSU. A little bit surprised by Florida not really, you know, outside of the Alabama game, really not looking good for, for, for two weeks. Kind of, that's kind of an interesting development there. But, but I think probably, you know, looking at Auburn and they're, they're kind of re-emerging a little bit. Uh, I wanted to go back and say this, though, about Ole Miss. And, and you've heard me say this. I, I think in Ole Miss case, you know, Corral carried the ball 30 times. At some point, I think, Snoop Connor, they're going to have to – Snoop Connor's going to have to step up. Totally I agree. Think, totally agree. And, and play a bigger role in the offense. It takes some of that pressure off Corral. Um, he's got the build. He, he he obviously can run the ball well, as he did in the game before before last week. So I think what's going to have to happen is they're going to have to corral the offensive line, take some of that pressure off Corral, run the ball. You know, if Corral plays – they're going to have to go to more of a run-based offense and just go right at LSU, you know, and run the ball with Connor. With uh, I know Ely's not necessarily 100%. And I, and I think Parrish. They're going to have to figure out how to use Parrish a lot better, uh, whether it's in space, whether it's between the tackles. I don't think Parrish runs that well between the tackles like Connor. Uh, but I think they're going to have to figure out a way to figure out what Parrish does well and utilize him even more. But I think a lot of those carries, that load needs to be shared between those two backs. And, of course, if you can put, you know, LSU on the hills running football, that just completely frees up Drummond a whole lot more. Really, really impressed how Drummond's kind of stepped up uh, in the passing game for Ole Miss. But, yeah, I think the storyline for me, or the emerging storyline, I think, is going to be what Auburn does down the road. It may be even challenge Alabama in our bowl. That, uh, you know, most people would say that that's insane, but we, you and I have said it for years. Egg Bowl is always a coin flip, so is the Iron Bowl. I mean, you throw records completely out the window. doesn't matter who the favored team is. Even in the Iron Bowl, it doesn't matter. That's a coin flip. I mean, and I said it a couple of weeks ago. I said, I really feel like that Alabama may lose one more game. Not the SEC championship game, because if they lose one more game, they're not necessarily assured that they'll be in Atlanta. I said that I thought Alabama could lose one more game, and, man, I caught a lot of flag for that like I was insane. So you just kind of backed up my claim, so thank you. Well, I mean, and, and, and you look at the rest of the schedule, who's going to challenge them? I think, you know, they lost A&M, and then some thought 
could BC State challenge him, and I didn't feel good about that game just because we, we the way our offense is designed, it plays right in our hands defensively. So if you look past, you know, the Ole Miss game, the BC State game, the loss to A&M, I don't think LSU is going to challenge him. You know, looking at the remainder of the schedule, I think Auburn is the one team that they are well may be able to challenge him. And, you know, look, if Auburn's on a roll by then, that the game now comes to Tulsa. You know, Mississippi State, Ole Miss game, I, 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 I would love to call out a Tulsa right now, but it's going to depend on, you know, you know how, well, how healthy Will is down the stretch. Uh, it's going to depend on if we ever show some semblance of being able to run the football, uh, which I think teams have demonstrated their ability to do against that Ole Miss defense. So, you know, we'll see. But I think, again, I, it kind of goes back to my whole Auburn thought, my Auburn conversation. I think when you look at the remainder of the schedule, the only team left to challenge Alabama in the West is Auburn. And if they lose that game, you know, then it's kind of comes everybody's you know, opening, and I tell you, the one team that needs to really kind of cheer for that situation is Ole Miss. Without a doubt. Uh, yeah, so it, it, you know, the A&M uh, feat of Alabama becomes just kind of real interesting now, looking at how everything's shaking out, but you know, you know, Alabama becomes even more uh, motivated, you know, with that situation. Probably in terms of games, the you know pending Alabama Auburn game down the road, and really if you're a you know if you're a Mississippi football fan, you know what Ole Miss does the rest of their schedule. What's interesting about what you just mentioned about the Texas A&M Alabama game, Coach Max Howell on last week. He'll be on next. He made a statement last week about Texas A&M basically Jimbo Fisher and the entire staff putting all their eggs in the basket to beat Alabama. And he even went as far to say A&M sacrificed two games, possibly three, to prepare to beat Alabama. They put all their eggs in that basket to beat Alabama. And he might be on to something because how do you explain how they had played leading up to the game against Alabama and then all of a sudden Alabama had to go toe-to-toe with them just to keep pace and A&M, you know, they held a sizable lead the majority of the game. That was a, a field goal win for a Texas A&M, last-second field goal win. But A&M held a two-score, three-score lead most of the night. So you kind of wonder if Coach Howell was on to something there. I thought that was an interesting point. I've heard that story, and I didn't want to believe it. I, it's, you know, if you kind of look at the way some things have kind of uh, lended themselves, there may be some uh, validity to it, especially the letdown they had the week after. So uh, that's interesting. That, that that's real interesting. And the you know the A and M Mississippi State game, I didn't I didn't quite make heads and tails of the play calling. Far mm-hmm. different in that game than the Alabama game. Uh, they didn't near give Spillers the ball enough. Um, during the you know during that game and it was just it was just a real different it's just a different uh, offensive scheme or offensive plan in the Mississippi State game than the Alabama game I didn't didn't quite understand that he's Pervy Green my uh, teammate in the booth for many many years you can find him on Twitter P Green O six one give him a follow of course high school football in full swing in Mississippi a lot of big games you'll have a big game Friday night my friend. 
Uh, Oak Grove, uh, the number one team in Mississippi, coming to take on the Brandon Bulldogs. So uh, that'll be a fun game. Should be a fun game. Should be a fun game. Um, should uh, uh, I expect it will be. Uh, Brandon's got that game at home, of course. Oak Grove, I think, you know, returns Kate Barnett, senior quarterback, one of one of the best quarterbacks, one of the most athletic quarterbacks in the state of Mississippi, one of the most athletic quarterbacks that I've seen play. Pretty good. I think they've got one or two returning running backs. Now, one thing about the Oak Grove team uh, that I've noticed that kind of that was highlighted in the Greenville Christian game, their offensive line is not what we're used to seeing with Oak Grove. I think that had a lot to do with uh, the Greenville Christian game, and I think that's had a lot to do with why they started slow in some football games. Brandon, of course, has been kind of a surprise story to a lot of people. With when you look at you know new coach, sophomore quarterback, um, young players in the secondary, you know, a couple of young players offensive line has you know, Brandon, uh, Coach Williams has had them playing real well. Different kind of a coach, of course. Both teams are now undefeated in region play, and this game will be for the you know top team in. Uh, region 3-6A due to Pearl's loss to Warren Central, which, of course, surprised a lot of people. So, yeah, it, it'll be uh, – there's a lot of implications with this game. Um, of course, you know this. This is this is that gauntlet for Brandon, and they're almost at the back end of that gauntlet with Federal, Brudian, Pearl – excuse me, Federal, Brudian, Oak Grove, and then, you know, Pearl. It's, it's – so – you look at that goal for Brandon, if they get past this, they slightly breathe a little bit easier with Northwest Franken being down a little bit. In Oak Grove, of course, if they get past this, then they still got the, the big penny game with Pearl, but it'll be a lot. So, so there'll be two games in two weeks that has a lot of implications. Of course, Brandon Oak Grove, Friday night. Pearl Oak Grove, I believe, next week. And that will tell a lot um, in Region 36A. And once again, you can see Brandon and Pearl playing a lot more than just bragging rights in a rivalry. So it'll be it'll be a pretty good football game. Uh, I think Brandon's pretty healthy, from what I understand. Oak Grove is too, but it'll be all about how much pressure that Brandon defense can put on uh, Oak Grove and, and Kay Barnett, and how well they can control the line of scrimmage. Because you know Oak Grove. It's pretty much a, a spread wide open offense. If you can't slow them down throwing the ball, if you can't slow them down passing the ball, if you can't slow them down running the ball, they pretty much got you. Uh, the most important thing I think for Brandon to be able to do is respond, which is what we saw Green for Christian do. Of course, they led that game, but then Oak Grove climbed back in it, and everything that Oak Grove threw at Green for Christian, they just responded. So I think uh, uh, what we well, we've seen in Brandon Oak Grove games in the past, if Brandon can play good defense, uh, slow it down, put pressure to the quarterback, throw the football, if they can respond to everything Oak Grove does, um, you know, it should be a pretty good ball game for Brandon. But most importantly, that Brandon's got that game at home. And they've got enough on offense, uh, uh, you know, being able to run the football, being able to you know, throw the football, They've got enough on offense, and look at the balance that they have. Uh, it's probably one of the most balanced Brandon offenses, you know, that we've seen in years. Uh, at one point, 
there was only probably a 40 or 60 yard difference between their rushing offense and their passing offense. Uh, and defensively, they're playing real well in the secondary, playing real well along that front. You know, four or five. Carrington Wilson had a big tip ball game last week. I thought he's really come on since uh, not playing in game one, so he's kind of healthy and playing well. Zari Spooley's playing playing well. They're really missing Blake Smith, who's injured. But uh, those three or four guys, I think sophomore, uh, excuse me, junior tackle, Trey Triggs, come on in the last week. Really impressive by really impressed by some of the linebackers. Dyson Bell, he's playing uh, well. Uh, a couple of those guys in the secondary kind of improved a couple of weeks. But it, it's going to be a really, really big ball game. Yeah, I think the uh, Vorns kid has played really well at quarterback. He's got a stable of running backs to turn in hand to uh, really a thunder and lightning a duo in the backfield with Blunt and Durr. He's got a couple of really good receivers to throw to, and that defense has, has played really well, as as you just mentioned, and uh, should be a great environment. I will be at the Brandon Pearl game. Yours truly will make an appearance at that game for sure. That'll be a Thursday night game. Should be a, a big crowd on hand going into a big weekend of football around the rest of the South, so – I'll be there for that one for sure. We'll see what transpires between now and uh, November 4th. Should be a lot of fun. And always good to have you on, my friend, on the KDMC guest line. And next time we'll tell some stories about some of the trips uh, we've taken over the years to, to cover these high school games. Man, do we have some stories. <laughs> uh, a lot of distance covered. Uh, <laughs> you know, I think at one point, Brandon was in a, in a, in a region with Natchez, Hattiesburg, oh, Ogro, Meridian. George County playoff games are always on the coast. If they're of course, if they mm-hmm. you know, end up at the bottom of the region, so yeah. you got Diablo you got Gulfport, you got uh, Hancock. So <laughs> yeah, there's a there's a lot lot of distance that uh, uh, Brandon has covered over the years. Yeah, I have to tell that story about the night we were coming back from a game in Natchez and trying to find any kind of music to keep us awake driving back. That was before the days of of Bluetooth and Sirius and, uh, you know, iPod to the phone. Oh, yeah, you're right. Yeah. Yeah, Yeah, we were talking about that. Yeah, that that was before all that. (laughs) We were trying to find anything anything to keep us awake because that was a long drive back that night. And anytime you're coming back from that part of the state, yeah, it's a, it's a long drive. But he's Pervy Green on the KDMC guest line. He'll be on the call as Brandon will take on Oak Grove. Follow him on Twitter, pgreen061. Give him a follow and uh, keep up with what's going on with uh, high school football. Pervy, as always, my friend, I'm sure I'll be talking to you this weekend. And have a great call this Friday night. And uh, we'll catch up with you down the road. Appreciate it, and we'll have to figure out that wager for the Egg Bowl. Yeah, yeah, it's coming up. It's that time of year. Should be fun this year. Thanksgiving night, Egg Bowl 2021. So, gosh, can't even believe I just said that, Egg Bowl 2021. Crazy to think we're already at that point. So, he's Pervy Green. Give him a follow on Twitter, pgreen061. He'll be on the call Friday night, Brandon hosting Oak Grove. We'll take a break on the Spirit Media Network. Hey sports fans, this football season, MDOT wants to ensure you get to your game day destination safely. So before you hit the road to watch your favorite team, be sure to download the MDOT Traffic app. The MDOT Traffic app is free for both Apple and Android devices. And remember to drive smart on the way to the game. That means buckling up, obeying the speed limit, and avoiding distracted driving, especially when traveling in work zones. For more information, follow at Mississippi DOT on Facebook and Twitter. 
Before digging in my yard, I always call 811 to have my utility lines marked to avoid service interruptions or injury. As Centerpoint Energy says, it's better to call 811 now than 911 later. And if I suspect a gas leak, I leave the area immediately on foot and call Centerpoint Energy and 911 from a safe, remote location. <laughs> really? Centerpoint Energy invests in its infrastructure to help keep you safe. Centerpoint Energy, always there. Oh man, what a show! That that was a lot of fun. Uh, always enjoy Tim Brando's insight and his thoughts on really anything, but particularly college football. Max Howell, the coach, joining us as well, and Pervy Green. Appreciate him as always hanging out with us. What a great show! And whatever you do this weekend, please be safe, be responsible, have fun. It's going to be great weather across much of Mississippi and the South. Just enjoy it. Be careful. Attend the church of your choice on Sunday. I always encourage you to do that. And as you know, we always end the show with the scripture of the day. And this comes to us out of Psalm 78, uh, verses 52 through 53. But he made his own people go forth like sheep and guided them in the wilderness like a flock. And he led them on safely so that they did not fear but the sea overwhelmed their enemies. That's in Psalm chapter 78, verses 52 through 53. A lot of truth in that. He will guide you safely. Just put your trust in him. That's certainly what we do here at the Spirit Media Network. We have our good days. We have our bad days. <laughs> There's days where I'm a great example. Well, no, that's not true. I'm, I'm never a great example. I mean, we're, we're always striving to be like him, and we fall short every single day. So uh, just continue to follow after him. If you ever have questions about that, hey, you can follow us on our website. Reach out to me anytime. I'd be glad to talk to you. So enjoy your weekend. Be safe. Thanks to all of our guests joining us on the KDMC guest line. And be careful this weekend, and we'll see you next time. Just saying right here on the Spirit Media Network. So long, everybody. Thanks for listening to Just Saying with Jason Scarborough, produced and recorded by the Spirit Media Network. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, or the TuneIn Radio app. We'll see you next time for more thought-provoking commentary right here on Just Saying with Jason Scarborough.